now, but we got some Hawaiian music from the background. So Welcome to the Golf Podcast Live. I'm your host, Raphael Kalman. With us today is our co-host in Vancouver, Michael Bleakley. Lots to talk about today. we got the PGA Tour starting up in Hawaii, the Century Champions event. Then we got the uh, Senior Tour, which is the Champions Tour out in Hawaii as well, and the ladies event happening up in Naples. But first, before we get started, we got a very special guest. His name is Fraser Mulholland. Welcome, Fraser. Thank you, gentlemen. It's uh, it's great to be on the show. Uh, you guys are doing a great job, and I'm uh, happy to be on the show with you to talk some golf. So Thank for, you. That's amazing. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Fraser, uh, for those of you who don't know, is the commissioner of the Vancouver Golf Tour. It's a developmental tour uh, for amateurs and professionals, uh, also known as the VGT Tour. Uh, he's a member of the PGA of Canada since 1992, multiple professional wins around the world. And uh, let's start with getting to know you a little bit, Fraser. Um, how did you get started with golf and where are you today and what are you doing in the uh, sphere of golf? Well, I mean, uh, I was uh, very fortunate to uh, have been born in the home of golf in Scotland. Uh, and I'm not going to say what year that's going to age me, but uh, <laughs> I lived in uh, Aberdeen, north of Scotland, till I was about nine years old and um, was fortunate to get uh, a golf club in my hands at the early age of about six or seven. Um, played a little bit. Uh, Dad led us on some of the shorter golf courses there with him. And then we made our hiatus out to uh, Canada in uh, 1977, I think it was. And, you know, we've been mainly in the uh, greater Vancouver area, Tawasson. I grew up mostly in Tawasson and uh, started my kind of junior career there. Lived just close to the short golf courses down the hill. Very lucky to live uh, so close to a golf course where we could walk down the hill and onto the golf course. And uh, basically that was the start of our, our junior golf. My brother and I both played and he was a year older and always better. And, um, you know, I, I kind of exited golf in my 15, 16 kind of years because I just got so sick of him beating me and uh, took up tennis for a couple of years. Um, started working at Beach Grove Golf Club, a private club um, in Tawasson. And really the, the what shaped my career in golf or changed my potentially going to tennis or golf was my head pro, Sid Dahl. And I always thank him for this because he gave me the ultimatum and said, Fraser, I cannot keep giving you weekends off to go play tennis tournaments. I will gladly give you any weekend off if you come back to golf and you come back and play golf. And that was it. I never played tennis again. I threw my tennis racket in the closet and I don't think I've ever touched a tennis racket since. And, uh, and that was the start of it. I, I uh, had worked uh, in the back shop at Beach Grove uh, since about 15 years of age. So I guess technically I've been in the industry for, you know, over 35 years now. And uh, you know, I think it was that just being at the golf course and being surrounded by all the members um, and playing golf tournaments, I, I always wanted to compete and see how good I could get. And that's what really started my golf career off. Very Amazing. cool. And uh, I, you, we know you played in the Air Canada Championship and Canadian Open, Canadian Tour. And um, for those of us who don't know about your tournament experience, why don't you elaborate a bit on, 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 uh, on, on tour life and traveling and, and your experiences there? 
No question. Um, I, a bit of a late bloomer in that, you know, I kind of lost a couple of good years of junior golf. Uh, I certainly wasn't good enough to be ranked and yeah. get any scholarships down in the States. But uh, my brother and I did go to UBC uh, where we studied there and we kind of stumbled on the, the golf team there actually from one of our, one of my longtime mentors, Harry White, um, who is, who passed away a few years ago. Um, but Harry brought my brother and I onto the team uh, to the qualifying for the team, I should say in my second year of UBC and never looked back. I, I, I had four wonderful years of experience there at UBC playing, uh, playing for the team, getting to actually travel with the team, you know, small bit of scholarship help paid for school. Uh, but I still really didn't come into my own uh, until late my last year at UBC. And I, I think that year, that summer, I won a couple of amateur tournaments and um, really prompted me to, to take it more seriously and think about uh, turning pro. And, um, you know, my pro was very, very supportive of me to, to join the PGA. And I guess in 92, I, I said, uh, let's go to the qualifying, the PAT, as they call it, playability test. And I passed that and um, played in my first tournament that, that fall, Beach Grove Pro-Am. I came third place. My team won. And I said, wow, this was this is awesome. I mean, I'm making money playing golf. Cool. And great. So my first full season was the next year, 93, as a young pro. And, um, and I had, I had pretty good success in my first year. It, it took me, you know, a couple months to kind of get my feet wet. Uh, Bill Wilms ran a, a similar tour to what we now run with the VGT smaller scale, but I won my first event down in Sun Valley, uh, where he had an event there. And I, I actually won five tournaments, uh, that year and got a little bit of confidence behind me and thought, well, I'm, I'm ready to go to, to the Canadian tour school and quickly was, had my you know what handed to me uh in my final round i bogeyed my last five holes to, to miss my two shots oh. and uh that's yeah but that's the journey of golf it um you, you really need to kind of just keep uh working on you getting success at each level and i tried again the next year in spring and i actually followed the canadian tour the following year and um you know i made it into a few events but again i i kind of had my ass handed to me <laughs> just with so many good players out there. And I, you know, I, I went up that level thinking I was one of the best. And I, I saw, you know, 150 guys that were equally as good as me or better. And it just, uh, it kicked me in the ass. And I really didn't get back to compete again for probably four or five more years. I came back to the, the industry side of, the, of golf and I accepted a coaching position at UBC where I coached for three years. I was still an assistant pro Beach Grove. And then I actually went to Shaughnessy for a year and, and then I took the director of teaching operations uh, position at McCleary for two years. And that, uh, it was after those two years, um, you know, I started to think a little bit more about playing again. I was still playing and uh, working on my game, but nothing like I did back in my first couple of years. And then uh, 1999, I, I took the head pro job at Twasson back in my, my old neighborhood. And um, that year I qualified for the Air Canada Championship, 1999, where Mike Weir ended up winning that one. Very and cool. it was... Um, it was really, really cool. Like it was the best professional experience in my life to get to play just, even though it was just for two days, <laughs> it was, uh, it was the best experience in my life to play with the PGA tour players, to see how it was all handled, to see how you got treated. And, yeah. um, I said, Hey, I, I, I kind of like this. I, I think I'm going to give it another shot. So I, uh, that, that fall, I, I left my position at Twas. I said, uh, I want to get back and try and play again. And, and, uh, am I, my boss or the owners of the golf course said, you know, you can leave and come back in four months, keep your job. We'll have it here for you if you want. And I'll, and I um, opted to not because I knew that that was sort of a, I would always have something to back into. 
-hmm. And so I resigned my position. Um, I went to Australia for four months. I tried to play uh, their circuit. I went to their Q school. I didn't get through. But by being a PGA pro, I was able to play on their, their pro-am circuit and try and qualify for the, a number of events. And I actually got in the Australian Open, played in the Australian nice. Open that year. And um, uh, Adam Scott was there. Ernie Els was there. It was, a, it was an international field. It was part of the European Tour at the time. And again, I got another bit of a taste of it. Um, but came back four months later, absolutely broke. You know, it, uh, you know, 20 to 30 grand worth of expenses traveling. Uh, golf and travel is expensive uh, when mm -hmm. you're trying to make it. And, you know, fast forward four or five years later, I, you know, I went, I, I came back into a position uh, on the North Shore uh, at Seymour Creek Golf Center, where the head pro there uh, was very uh, kind to me. He said, you know, do what you, the position is yours, work as much as you want, as little as you want, keep playing. And I, uh, I took the head teaching job there, but I worked my butt off, you know, I, I, I needed to, you know, get some debt behind me and I did, and I, I just worked away. And it gave me the opportunity to keep playing. I played for another three or four years. I traveled to South Africa, played in the South, South African Open, South African Masters. But long story short, um, you know, I came back broke after four years. And um, and that's ultimately what kind of led to the, the creation of VGT was, wow. you know, I saw how hard it was out there, um, how much money was spent when traveling and just how hard it was to get ahead by doing it with, at least you know 20 30 grand of expenses that you knew you were going to have every year and that was for you know a four month window if you're going to do it for eight to ten months it's going to be double that it's going to be 50 grand so i started vgt with that mindset that if we can create and i took a lot of i adopted a lot of the things that i learned in australia and south africa it was give them more events you know mm -hmm. roll out a schedule of events that they can play every week and do it locally where they can do it from their backyard you know the thing that those tours had that we didn't have was uh, really an advantage over other players who are traveling. They know all the golf courses, they know how to play them. So they're going to win more of the tournaments. They're going to keep the cash, keep the money in house. And so that's mm -hmm. ultimately what Vancouver golf tour is, is it, is it's a local regionalized tour for our players. And, you know, we're not, we're not, not taking players from outside of BC. They're welcome to come play, but it really gives our players who have learned to play on these golf courses an advantage to play affordably from home still get trained and coached from their from their local pro and maybe their uh whoever they're working with for mental mental or physical fitness and uh learn how to win and uh, mm -hmm. take that confidence beyond local golf to the next stage onto the mckenzie tour and the corn ferry and beyond and you know we're very proud of of uh you know 15 years later to say that we have two pga tour players that have actually won on tour that came through vgt used us to, to gain more confidence, learn how to win multiple times. And Adam Hatton and Nick Taylor are those two stars that are now on the PGA Tour. And Adam Svensson and um, uh, Roger Sloan, now four BC players who have played our tour on the PGA Tour in 2022. Mm -hmm. We're extremely proud of that, And uh, but we still have a long way to go. We, I, I'm not happy until I see 10 of our players out there and that are actually competing. And that's where I, you know, I hope to leave this in, you know, 10 or 15 years from now with uh, a footprint there that says you know, BC golf is alive and well and Canadian golf too. Uh, whether we, whether we grow outside of BC, I don't know whether that'll ever happen, but uh, to be proud of that and to say that uh, we've, we've, we've done something, we've got a legacy behind Canadian golf and particularly in BC. And um, so that's our goal in the next sort of 10 years is, uh, is to have more than just, you know, three or four players in the PGA tour. And, um, 
yeah, feel like that we're doing our parts uh, to give young players that opportunity to succeed. Uh, there's talent everywhere. And it's a matter of can they, you know, break through beyond, you know, the regional scene and get support behind them, get sponsorship behind them, you know, because it's expensive to go play. And uh, that's our goal the next, uh, you know, five to 10 years to support the players more, not just from the purses here, but to introduce them to more sponsors. Uh, we've, we're launching a $25,000 um, player bursary fund this year that we're going to support some of our players to go down south and travel whether or just to play our tour and uh, really try and do our best to try and move them forward. Fraser, you that's pretty incredible. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I was going to say, like, when you started the BGT, it was 2006, correct? Um, it is, yeah, yeah. You filled, there was a need for it in Vancouver, and, and not just on the professional side, the amateur golfers as well, because you've had thousands of uh, players uh, on the amateur side. Uh, it gives them a target. I know for myself, uh, it, it uh, was much different coming to play organized tournaments than, you know, with buddies or the odd uh, kind of corporate tournament to come into a serious league because there wasn't really anything like that uh, available mm -hmm. for amateur golfers other than some club opens here and there. But it, uh, uh, it's really uh, driven the passion for a lot of amateur golfers in, in the BC area and, uh, and who have many have gone on to become professionals or you know, move up through the flights from the A and B flight and championship flight. And uh, uh, it, it's been a fantastic uh, uh, venue for, for all of us golfers uh, to, to get a taste of what it, you know, what a tour golf is like and, you know, get your knees shaking with, uh, you know, mm -hmm. a two foot putt and you miss it and the frustration and the humility of golf and how different it is to play a, a tournament than, uh, than for a few dollars and skins matches uh, with your buddies. So, um, and my question, I guess, would be about the, the future and plans maybe to grow to a national level with, uh, with BGT or, um, did you, have you got any plans in place for that or, um, uh, any thoughts on scaling it? Yeah. I mean, we've got, um, a great partnership right now going with, um, uh, the guys at the great lakes tour and, uh, the mm -hmm. East coast pro tour in where that's, you know, our goal is to really give players that opportunity to think more than just regional and to, to think about our national scale tour of some sort. Now, to take it on and to, to, to move it across Canada is a huge endeavor. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and that is, you know, the reason why the Canadian tour ultimately, you know, went to their knees and said we, to the PGA tour, we need help. Um, because it was just a giant endeavor that they, you know, could not, you know, keep alive to, to the point of putting the purses up high enough for the players to, you know, afford to travel and to play, you know, the person that had stayed so stagnant for, for so long, you know, it couldn't breach that $150,000 purse level for so long. And, you know, inflation is inflation every single year. And it's just mm -hmm. not a model that could be sustained now. Um, Mackenzie Tour has kind of taken that on nationally uh, for Canada, but it's not really a Canadian tour anymore. And that is a conversation that's, you know, happening between ourselves and the East Coast Pro Tour and um, the Great Lakes Tour in that uh, we want to do what we can for Canadians um, to give them that you know, little leg up, if you want to call it that, because as it is right now, the McKenzie tour is a, is a very well-run tour and it is, it is the stepping stone beyond to the corn ferry and to the PJ tour, but it is not a Canadian tour anymore. It's an international tour. And, you know, there's seven Q schools, I think, 
and only one of them is in Canada. And so mm -hmm. there really goes back to the advantage to the USA. Uh, all the guys from those regions, 90% will be those guys who know those courses well and will get through there. And the, P, mm -hmm. you know, the PG Tour Canada now becomes uh, a U.S. tour, international tour on Canadian soil. And so, yeah, there's definitely discussions. And uh, do we want to be a part of it? Absolutely. Um, do I see, you know, us being able to, you know, run across Canada and run, you know, 12 to 15 events? Not right now. Um, we got to we got to make sure that our model is strong and successful, um, that we raise the purses here in BC first. And then maybe we get a little bit further and maybe we go into Alberta, that it becomes a Western, a true Western Canadian tour. I'd I like that idea mm -hmm. um, or Pacific Coast tour, you know, Pacific Northwest tour where it goes to Alberta and maybe into Seattle or Washington. There's a lot of great golf courses there. You know, we've got, you know, COVID to think about and the travel restrictions to think about and the regional model really works well for that. You know, right now mm -hmm. we've done uh, very well with that model. The fact that they're saying don't travel. Okay, well, we're not. We're, we're in her car. We're staying regionally. It's uh, it's outdoors. It couldn't have been a more fantastic model for um, what COVID asked us to do. And so um, as far as COVID being a terrible thing for, you know, I think majority of people and industries that have just been completely shut down, golf has been very fortunate. We have too. And it's it's taken a lot of people back into golf and and not just for recreational golf. We've seen an impact too. the people who maybe used to play tournament golf. They've come back and they're loving it. You know, our membership in in two years, it almost doubled in uh, from 2019 to, to 2021. And that's amazing. Now, will it sustain? I, I don't know. I hope so. Like, I hope that they found golf and they've love it. They're loving the tournaments like you and a lot of the, the amateurs uh, are love, love that competition. Uh, love to feel that uh, nervousness on the first tee when you get your name announced, and uh, three footers count. You, there's no scooping it up. Oh yeah. And um, the fact that we do, and I do want to stress this because you know a lot of people who hear the name VGT, I think they sort of equate it to professional golf. And like I said, you know, I, I announced it, and I I'm, I fault myself for not you know being more inclusive when I in my conversations, in that the VGT is not just for you know, the next Adam Hadwin. It is for right. the whole community of golfers uh, and amateur and junior and women who want to just get better and see where they can go in golf, uh, whether they never become professional and just want to maybe get better at playing in the BC amateur or maybe it's the Canadian senior championships. And we do service a lot of the, the, the needs to prepare uh, those players for whatever they want to go play next. I find Fraser, playing uh, the, your tournaments uh, has changed my golf circle a lot, right? Because I've always had a lot of friends who golf, but you end up meeting a lot of similar capped golfers and uh, you end up becoming better because uh, you're playing with better players and, and uh, you mm -hmm. know, higher skilled players than yourselves. And uh, uh, I find that was one of the greatest benefits of playing BGT events was uh, just the quality of golfer that you end up competing with on a daily basis. And you've improved a bunch. Yeah, no, oh, definitely. I got yeah. down to two and a half cap last year. So, um, which was too bad. Fantastic. I got, I got the best golf of the, uh, I've ever been at, uh, in terms of handicap wise. And then I had to sit in the bench for four months, uh, after the surgery. So, uh, it's, it's been a bit of a, uh, roller coaster ride, but, uh, at the end of the day, you know, I'm going to continue that good play hopefully through this year. Well, Fraser, to, uh, just to circle back to what you were saying, I think, 
Uh, you, a lot of people have to commend you for bringing this tour around because all of your experience, close to 40 years now, right? And uh, I know you mm -hmm. don't want to you know, age yourself or anything, <laughs> but it's incredible no, that yeah. you're, you're giving back because there's two problems uh, uh, putting on events, especially in Canada. You know, we live in a microclimate where we only have a peak season of about six to seven months. Depends what part of the country you're in. And so when I was putting on events in 2000, 2001 and trying to put on pro-ams and team up with people, the two issues that most professionals had and amateurs was to find the time and money to get into an event. And so the affordability and the travel, because there's a lot that comes with it. And then there's the sponsorship part. You know, it has to be worth the while of players to come out and actually, you know, play for a prize and have pretty decent organization. Because you know, as well as I do, even on a professional level in Canada or the US, when you go on these mini tour events, uh, you know, there's nothing really there. A couple of tents, there's a starter, you go out. It's like playing around, you're playing a, a glorified round of golf with some good players. And so having some organization, having club companies come out, and I know you do this, and you, you try to provide an experience from what Mike has told me and what I've read and watched uh, through videos and articles. You're doing a fantastic job. So teaming up with other uh, organizations is a great idea. Um, I, I would love to see that. But also being, just being regional is hard enough as it is. I think it's hard for those players to go outside going farther west than Alberta. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Canada, for those who are listening in the U.S. or other parts of the world, Canada is a pretty big place, the second largest country in the world. You know, for someone to travel from Vancouver or Victoria all the way to PEI, um, it is very difficult. It's expensive. It's expensive it's and mm -hmm. difficult. Um, and so what you're doing is great. It's great. It's just getting those sponsors, right? It's getting the sponsors yeah. and, and, and being able to, because I, I'm sure you would love to pop the purses up and get the prizes up as well, but it gives the players an opportunity to have the experience of tournament golf. And so when they go to these qualifiers or they go to the U.S., they've got something they could pull from because there's a huge difference. So if amateur golfers are listening, there's a huge difference between playing at your home course uh, or just playing uh, around for some cash, because then there's some nervousness there between buddies, or playing a different style of course, and then there's tournament golf, right? Tournament golf is very different. I don't know how many times I've gone to a tournament when I was, you know, getting started. Uh, you know, you guys are throwing up in the bushes. I mean, it's, it's, it is nerve-wracking, you know, when you're playing when something means a lot to you. I tried out three years in a row for the Humber golf team from uh, 98 to 2000, and they were national champs. And so it meant a lot to me. And I played some of my worst golf uh, in, in the fall. And I, I thought I was ready. I thought I was ready. I was able to, you know, shoot under par uh, on most shorter tracks I would go on, at least for nine holes. I, <laughs> but, you know, uh, college golf and university golf is a whole different animal now. You've got sponsorship yeah. coming in in 2022 for college and university students in the US, now mm -hmm. that's being allowed, which is great because some people don't have the support system. This still is a very expensive support. So let's talk about uh, about that. Let's talk about college, university, golf, uh, developmental tours such as yourselves and and what we could do to, to help uh, younger golfers get in the game. Because Golf Canada's gone uh, from not being able to help the way they've wanted over the years to you know putting 10 guys on tour and uh, mm -hmm. 20 plus players 
on the McKenzie Tour. We're looking at 15 plus players now on the Symmetra Tour. It's great. And we're seeing five players, uh, one with an exemption, four who have full exempt status on the LPGA Tour. So a huge change from the days of, you know, Mike Weir, Ian, you know, uh, Stephen Ames. <laughs> it is. And uh, they should be commended because they they have. They've poured the resources into into the right areas. And, and I think they were criticized for not doing that for a long time. And I think they, they realized that, that they, they could possibly be the biggest solution to changing the landscape in professional golf um, on all, all tours. And, um, you know, they, they, they've always developed amateur golfers. They've always given amateur golfers, uh, you know, the national level of their championships, uh, an amazing opportunity. Um, they've always supported with player development, young amateurs and juniors, national team program, give them the benefits of great coaching access to you know traveling on their dime and now uh, in the last sort of 10 or 15 years i don't know when it was they started with the young pro development program but it has made a huge impact you look at who's out there on tour and you look at who's come through the the canadian golf program through golf canada program and pretty much every single you know player that's now out there on the pga tour and lpga and symmetra like you said have come through their program and, and utilized the, uh, all the benefits uh, in the coaching and and access to mm -hmm. you know financial aid and I think those are the biggest things that are missing sort of beyond the you know the top eight men top eight women who are funded you know on the amateur side and the professional side uh, if we could you, you look at you know back in Vancouver 20, 2010, um, you know the own the podium program that um, you know that happened it. It works, right? Millions of dollars raised for that to help young athletes with dreams realize those dreams. You know, they they were before that always one or two jobs. This was their full time thing with part time jobs, and you just simply can't compete. And the funding and the uh, the ability to do it full time uh, and train as hard as you possibly can, not as hard as you can while you work forty hours a week. Uh, and that has always been, I think, the reason why we don't have more Canadians out there on tour. It's a, it's a funding issue, a funding program that, yeah, we can we can be a part of. Like we are doing our best to be a part of, but we're not making as much of an impact as we as Canada can. Um, we're doing it regionally, but I would love to at one point say that we're raising two hundred fifty thousand dollars, a million dollars, and you know that's going towards uh, uh, programs that that offer young players who have, you know, made it through college and university and, and want to give it a try and really send a team of, you know, players to Q school. Um, and that's the only way that more will get through and fund them in their first couple of years, like golf Canada is doing. Uh, you, you, you cannot play tour golf when you're on a limited budget, when it's mainly your money. Um, there's so few that get by, get through when they're on that program. And, um, you know, time and time again, we've seen it. I've seen it, and I did see it when I was playing, that there were plenty of players that were plenty good enough to make it that never did because, one, they maybe didn't have the right coaching, they didn't have the right mentorship, they couldn't afford to, you know, slap that money down to get the right training, um, and it never worked out. And they ran out of money, and away they were. They're off to, to working either in the PGA program or uh, becoming a realtor or whatever that was going to make them money. So um, there's lots to do. Um, 
you know, finding more sponsors is our key to, uh, to getting the purses up, to helping us raise money. And uh, we're very fortunate. I uh, have a, a partner in the business uh, that has come in the last year, who is now our sort of our marketing and media wing. Uh, the company is JM Media. And uh, I'll give him a lot of credit. J, uh, uh, Kendall Payne is his name. Uh, Mike, Mike knows him, I think, from, from his past. And Kendall has come through um, in the media side of uh, the world, uh, in the Vancouver Sun in the province. He was doing sales for them for 15, 20 years. And uh, in the last or seven or eight years, he has started up his own uh, company, JM Media, that uh, reaches out beyond, well beyond uh, print media into all digital media, into television, and uh, assisted us to, to get a partnership this year, this past year with Global BC uh, to get us uh, onto a very popular Saturday morning show with Jay Janauer, one of uh, BC's sort of most popular sports figures, golf, golf particular, and uh, gave us um, our sponsors more um, credit for being a part of the tour and gave the players more recognition for when they were playing well and ultimately gave uh, people access to, to learn more about what Vancouver Golf Tour is about. And we look forward to, uh, you know, expanding that through Global BC next this year. And um, it's all about that. If we can keep continue to build the media partnerships and uh, raise awareness and give our sponsors more views, more likes, more feedback, uh, ultimately more people will turn to their products or their services. And, um, and that's when you get the sponsorship levels higher and allow us to, you know, it will allow us then to maybe grow outside of the regional model into maybe there's a company that has other offices in Alberta that can then, you know, move the needle up and double their sponsorship for the next year if we grow outside of uh, BC. And, and that's when I see it will happen, um, but I don't see it in the next year, but it could happen the next three or four years. That's pretty amazing. I'm, I'm uh, pretty fascinated with the fact that uh, you're able to kind of juggle uh, a lifestyle of, of, you know, running the tournament and, and, and getting everything together because it is a big job and it's not easy to do. So, uh, you know, that's, that's really great. And, and things like, like we talked about, it have changed so much over the years. Uh, purses have changed. I mean, if we're just looking at the Champions Tour alone, it's pretty inspiring to see not only Phil, but someone like, uh, like, uh, like the rest of these uh, players. Uh, we've got... Uh, Players up to the age of 64 winning on tour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's, it's pretty inspiring and the purses are going up. I think the, uh, the, what happened in the early 2000s in 99, 2000, 2001 with Tiger Woods and his effect on the game and how purses started rising, sponsorships started coming in. It started to be more, um, more popular, not only to watch golf, but to uh, put corporate dollars behind uh, a game like golf. Uh, NBC started getting involved. And so we're seeing the same thing now, 20 years later with COVID. It's a weird phenomenon where people came to the game because there wasn't, wasn't anything else to do. And the golf industry is you know, growing because of that. We're gonna to try to retain these players because we know that's not really what happened. You know, By the end of 2000, the 2000s, things started dwindling down. We built a lot more golf courses, a lot more golf brands came out and a lot of people lost their mm -hmm. shirt. Um, however, it, I think we're seeing a big uptick in all of this and we're gonna see uh, uh, more tournaments, more opportunities. You can see how even division three golf in the US 
is at a much higher level than Division One was 20 years ago. It's an accomplishment to play Division Two or Three golf in the U.S. It's it's these kids are so great. They've got all these these schools and camps. You know, um, there's the fitness element that wasn't so prevalent until you know VJ Singh and Tiger Woods started coming in. Um, there were very few players. I know we could go back to Gary Player and talk about how he promoted fitness, but there weren't too many players out there. Uh, and then there's the uh, the mental part of the game. And of course, technology playing such a role on the precision of the game, not only in the, the building of clubs, but in distances and ball technology and um, course management. We, we could go on and on about the, the changes in the game. Um, how do you feel about mm -hmm. hot take hot take quick quick one quick one there i don't know if you saw the uh the twitter <laughs> post with uh, tom kite okay no 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 the fitness they said uh, the reason why fitness never took off in the late 90s and early 2000s was taught with was then they showed this image of tom kite and uh he was wearing nothing but like this little loincloth uh you gotta go just go search it. <laughs> we'll have to look this. And anyway, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt you. It, uh, <laughs> it just I had to I had to mention that. But yeah, no, uh, Tiger and uh, and BJ and they've taken golf on the fitness side of it to another level. Yeah, so now you're looking at guys on tour. Everybody's fit. All the guys are working out, and it's elevated everyone's level of game. Not only the distance, and the distance isn't anything new. Everybody knows everybody from you know Tiger Woods daily it is a huge advantage and so we have this whole bryson effect with the technology and the kids wanting to use it but it's it's i think it's a positive i think it's great for the game um i think hitting it longer is a good thing you know to, i uh, we, we talked about this mike mike we talked about the fact that the the ball and the technology maybe there needs to be done something about the ball i i but you know the 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 Ball companies have such a huge stake in the game that standardizing a golf ball, like every other sport that uses uh, something to, to, to like tennis, hockey. I mean, we could just go through the list of sports um, that use uh, an object to propel forward that it's standardized. Golf is the only sport where you could get multiple golf balls. Now, every golf ball company could poss uh, potentially make the same golf ball. Right. If, it, if it's a if it's a, you know, an issue with the actual logo on the golf ball, because if Titleist is the sole golf ball used, uh, you know, and pushed by the RNA for the open, for example, if they set the standard, uh, then it would be a problem. Um, I think it gets complicated with all the different manufacturers, because uh, if you look at the My Golf Spy data from the last two golf ball tests they did in 2019 and 2021, uh, they're showing a lot of manufacturers aren't actually, you know, selling you hundred percent perfect balls. So you're getting, uh, you know, really well-known manufacturers selling you 80, 85% uh, of a dozen can be, are, are good balls. So you're, you're getting a dud or two here or there. Titleist is, uh, uh, one of the top manufacturers, Srixon was really well, uh, highly rated, uh, uh, in the 2019 ball test, but, I think that will be hard to unify um, the uh, production across all of these brands. And, and there might be legal challenges because um, uh, just because these companies aren't going to want to retrofit their uh, their factories to accomplish this. But um, 
I like the fact that golf is customizable. You can change, you, you decide what clubs, you only get 14 in the bag. You decide the configuration and the golf ball is a major tool. So I think this is a, it's a, it's sticky situation for the golf industry to, to uh, hammer out. And you look at, now we have the limitation of the driver shaft in play. Um, how's that going to affect, like, I suspect the, the, the better players, they're going to figure out how to hit it just as far with that shorter shaft. And, uh, so, so it's going to be interesting to watch how this unfolds this year. Yeah, golf has taken on a, a new animal in the last, you know, five to 10 years and particularly with Bryson, uh, and his, you know, his length, uh, really giving the USJ and RNA, uh, reason to pause and think. A little bit more, uh, more than they ever have, about how do we contain this issue if it continues to be an issue of players destroying golf courses that don't have anywhere to go. They don't have the room to to lengthen, and honestly, don't really want to lengthen beyond where they are. You know, seventy six, seventy seven hundred yard long golf courses. Well, the last thing we want to try and offer to the consumer is a golf course that length that honestly just makes golf play far too long and unenjoyable. And um, really those tees shouldn't even be considered. Uh, I do like the way that some of the golf courses have kind of changed the, the tee boxes up a little bit with the colors. Like I know Mayfair Lakes, your home club has kind mm-hmm. of done that to really kind of throw out, you know, the, the gold tees or the blue tees or the black tees being the, the back tees and the longest let's just play, you know, the, the right length of the golf course for our ability and mm-hmm. and have more fun and uh, ultimately that's what golf should be for 95 percent uh leave it up to the five less than five percent who really should be challenging golf courses to their fullest length i first noticed uh, a couple of years ago when uh, mayfair changed the configuration of the tees and like oh what are the reds doing back here but uh, since joining the club and watching uh, the results of that, I, you now see, uh, and even guys, you know, uh, you know, usually egotistical, uh, you know, male wants to get in the back tees because that's where the pros play. But I'm now seeing guys who aren't very good golfers. They, they're up on the white tees, which are, are actually shorter than the previous white tees. It's probably playing about 5,500 or less. And that uh, takes a lot of teeth out of the golf course, but they are probably having more fun uh, getting a few more looks at birdies uh, and a chance to score. Cause uh, you know, we golf is a game. It's always challenging, no matter what, uh, even a, a single digit cap or a scratch golf or a professional could go up to the front dish and still have a challenge uh, off of a short golf course. Uh, so, so there's a lot to said to be moving forward and getting people enjoying the game, playing faster, um, not four and a half, five hour rounds, get them done in four hours and they can play again, uh, you know, cause the, most people have a job or other commitments. They can't just be out there all day. Yeah. I agree with you, Mike, a hundred percent. You know, that's well put. I, I, people, I always, tell people to play the front tees to start off the season, but you can stay there. I mean, they're the junior, you know, the, th- the problem is we've labeled the tees, right? The front tees are usually for juniors, ladies, and beginners. So guys are not going to tee off from there. But if you, if, if you get the amateurs to start playing off the front tees or the, 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 the second tees, the whites, instead of the blues, they'll realize it's just as hard to score. You still have to play golf. You still need a short game. You still need to get it around the course. And to your point, Fraser, 
I think for professionals on tour, what they need to do is go back to the old school design golf courses. Because if you go to somewhere, uh, I was assistant professional for two years over at Royal Montreal Golf Course. You know, if you play the blue course, it doesn't matter if you play the blue tees or the back tees, you're still pretty much going to shoot the same score. And there's something to be said about that. You know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, ball placement, otherwise you're in trouble. Right. You've you got to be a ball striker. I mean, you just can't just hit it out there and then just grind it out of the deeper rough like a lot of the power players are doing right now. So this week, there are the Century Tournament of Champions is happening. We've got 38 of the top 39 uh, winners uh, going out. I think Rory's the only one who's really not uh, heading out uh, to Maui. Uh, what do you guys think is going to happen out there and who's going to play? Do you know this could kind of. Uh, get into a segment where we're going to talk about uh, 10 players that might move the needle on tour this year. Uh, we usually do a top 10 list, Fraser, but uh, maybe we could talk about those players and the tournament uh, this weekend. Well, I did watch uh, some of the coverage this morning uh, on Golf Channel, so I, I did I heard that the golf course is ready to be picked apart. Mark mm -hmm. Rolfing, who has been there in Hawaii now covering mm -hmm. golf for 38 years, he said, mm -hmm. which is amazing itself. And he said that, that there's very little wind. They had some rain earlier last week that has just softened the fairways just enough to really let them hate for, for lack of better words, bomb and gouge it mm -hmm. uh, to the point where he thinks it's going to be up in the high twenties, like 28, 29 under that's going to win. It's sort of an average of about 21, 22 under um, in the history of that event. Um, but when the winds are down and the, and there's a little bit of softness, uh, they're, they're hitting it so far and it's, it's a wide golf course that they will just tear it apart. And I don't mind that. Like uh, I don't mind. Um, I love the fact that guys chasing for 59s and, you know, and having that, that's, almost as fun um, watching a guy have three or four holes left knowing that he's going to get himself into history books. And mm -hmm. so I like that. I like low scoring in golf tournaments, uh, but I, I do love tough, tough tournaments too. I, I do love the, the, the U S open sort of uh, carnage. Um, and I, I love the fact that uh, Augusta generally, you know, can play really tough and no one's truly going to shoot 30 under par at Augusta over four days. They're not going to allow that. And I, that's where I think golf courses can be designed and can be set up uh, according, accordingly to whatever score they really want to shoot uh, or the players to shoot. And I don't think uh, they want the PGA to, they don't want embarrassed players, you know, constantly throughout the year. They want low scores. They want impressive. Wow. That is amazing. I get amazed when I see someone shoot 59. Um, think of what, you know, a normal consumer of golf thinks about that when they see them hitting it that far and scoring that low and having eagle putts and, you know, holding out drivers, you know, like Dustin did almost a couple of years ago. Right. Yeah, so, um, amazing. it, I think, I think it's going to be low. Um, I mean, I have a list, I, I, I carved out a list of, uh, I mean, everyone's going to have the same list of Justin Thomas, uh, champion in 2017, 2020 last year tied for third. Xander, who got an invite for winning, which I just realized for winning the gold medal, he had won. Did he not win last year? I saw that he was invited because he won the gold medal. Oh, that's um, fantastic. That's okay. pretty great. I, I don't right? think he won so, either. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. That was his only win of the year. That's So uh, they gave him an invite. He he won in 19. He was a playoff uh, loser in 2020, tied for fifth in 21. 
kind of right up his alley. Um, DJ, two-time winner, 2013-18. Um, I like Victor Hovland. You know, he likes that grass. He's won. The times he's won, it's been on that type of grass. Mayakoba, just in November. The Hero World, December. His mm-hmm. two first two wins were on that style of grass, too. That's that's my uh, look to, uh, you know, there's the Rom, the DeChambeau, Morikawa. You, could, you can name all the top guys. But I'd say uh, my kind of sneaky pick would be Hovland. Hovland's won, uh, his last couple of wins have been in resort-style courses, right? Like you said, with mm-hmm. that style of grass. But I, I think he, he probably feels relaxed. He's in vacation mode, staying in a beautiful resort. All he's got to do is get to his tea time and figure out what's for breakfast <laughs> and dinner maybe a, a stretch in between. So uh, yeah. um, he's all, he's got a great attitude. He's always smiling. Uh, he's called out his own weaknesses and then followed up the next year by working on them, improving his wedge game and, and whatnot. So I agree. He's a sneaky uh, pick to look for. And I want to throw in a couple names here. Patrick Cantley. Uh, he really showed his uh, his ability in the uh, playoffs last year yeah. and has been, I think, underestimated. Uh, he's a, a rock-solid player. Uh, I want to pick a dark horse of Jason Kokrak. I think we're going to see something yeah. out of him over this year because he's... Uh, He's hanging around and he's he's been getting some success and um, so uh, he's my dark horse pick for the year. That's pretty incredible. I'm I can't help but pick Phil Mickelson. You know, with winning the PGA, he's 51. He hasn't been to Kapalua in 21 years, uh, so it's a really big deal. So I'm looking at the older guys. You know, people forget that Lucas Glover won the John Deere last year as well, and he's in he's in there. He's in his late 40s. Um, and he's playing well. Um, you know, Hideki Matsuyama is kind of under the radar just because, you know, he's a Japanese player. He gets a lot of attention, uh, obviously, in, in his home country. But, he, you know, him playing as well as he did and winning the Masters, I think the equivalent to that would be like Mike Weir winning out here uh, when he won in 2003 and how, of a big, how much of a big deal it was. And he also won the Zozo, which is sort of their national championship on the Japanese, you know, uh, uh, tour, which is part of the PGA Tour as well. I think it's a co-sanctioned event. And, um, yeah, so those are my three picks, you know, with Hideki. Uh, Lucas Glover, obviously, is my dark horse. And then uh, Phil Mickelson, because you never know what's going to happen. But Phil still bombs it. And he's, he's, you know, he's moving the needle. Uh, in so many different ways, he's won the PIP, the you know the player. Um, what is the PIP stand? Impact program. Impact program. That's right. Impact program. That's right. <laughs> impact program. And uh, eight million. Eight million dollars, yeah. not bad for somebody who's been in the public eye. But you know these guys. You know a lot of people say they don't deserve that money. I'll tell you, Fraser and Mike, I do think they deserve it. They don't make the money that the major. Um, superstars of sports like baseball and football and soccer make around the world. And they've been doing it for years, especially for him and Tiger, even though Tiger didn't play. So that's the other argument. Tiger potentially finishing first or second in all of this after the results come in and get tabulated sometime in February. Um, Because I think he did move the needle with the PNC with his son, right? That was just incredible to watch. You know, the ratings were higher than the Masters. For the PNC, so that's pretty pretty outstanding. So those are my picks. Um, 
How about the rest of the season? What do you guys see for, you know, LPGA, maybe Champions Tour, or even the PGA? Who are the other uh, people that are going to really make a mark this year? I like Scotty Scheffler. I think he's going to break through. Uh, I'm a fan of Tyrrell Hatton. I think uh, he's entertaining to watch. I, I like him. He's got some fire in his belly. He's, uh, you know, done a, quite a few things out on the golf course uh, in the anger management department. So uh, I think he's fun to watch and he's got a great game. I'd like to see him have some success. My pick for uh, PJ Tour would be uh, Sneak One. Uh, you probably would know him, Ralph, from back east is uh, Taylor Pendrith. Oh yeah, I think mm -hmm. he's he's going to jump out on uh, the PG Tour this year, and I mean he already had a moment there back in the fall where he was leading, going into the final round there, just didn't quite get the job done, you know, expectedly. That's a it's a hard position to put yourself in so early in the, in your career, but you look at what he did on the Corn Ferry, I mean, he was a monster out there um, every single week. If he didn't top five it, you're you're what? Where is he? Uh, I think, I mean, you've, you've seen his game. He is incredibly long. And I think uh, someone with that much success on the Corn Ferry is bound to break out and get the job done. So I think Taylor Pendrith, for me, looking at a Canadian standpoint, and I, I'd like to see, uh, I think Brooke Henderson's going to come back and, uh, and shine again this year. Just too good a player. And I think uh, it could well be her year to, to take another major down. That would be great to see Brooke um, do that again. Uh, and, and LPGA is really strong with the Corda sisters. Uh, there's so such a deep field out there, and these girls are so good. Uh, so I, I think we're going to see a, a, a lot of uh, records set out in LPGA this year. Yeah, well, LPGA, we got Lydia Ko and making a bit of a comeback. Um, yeah, NB uh, is doing pretty good. You know, there's so many women. You know, I, I'm enjoying LPGA golf more and more because it's being broadcasted more. We're, we're able to see the talent that's really out there, and they're showcasing it a little bit more. And I'm becoming more of a fan and learning more about the players. And they're doing profiles. And with obviously with social media and all the platforms, we're able to see all these new stats and uh, live betting coming into effect. You really feel like you're part of the game. Um, and then on the Champions Tour, what can I say? I grew up watching all these guys. Um, I'm loving it. You know, everybody from John Daly to Mike Weir making a resurgence right now, playing so well, mm -hmm. you know, getting that win in. Uh, you know, everybody from Petrovic to, you know, people who are broadcasters right now coming back in. So we're going to see David Duvall. Uh, we're going to see, um, is it, uh, who else are we going to see coming in this year that are new? Um, well, Paul Stankowski's out there yeah. uh, as well. Uh, I'm not sure who, who the new crew coming on board at the moment, but there's so many. It's like watching golf 20 years ago, and it's exciting. The purses are increasing, and uh, we had Lob, Rob LeBritz on the show last week, and uh, so obviously we're we're a fan of this guy and where he uh, he can go this year. He's He's got a lot of wins under his belt. He's a hell of a golfer. He's uh, really fit. He's got a great chance at uh, having success out there. So uh, the senior tour is going to be fun. Pardon me, champions tour. It's going to be lots of fun to watch this year. VJ, did you see the video of VJ yeah, training? Yeah, I did. I, yes. I, I, I think I reposted it on our Twitter account uh, this morning. Yeah. And that was just incredible. It's, it's like a, a Rocky training. The yeah. guy yeah. is in such great shape for, for his age. I just felt horrible. 
I, I, I was happy for him and I'm thinking, I can't do any of that. <laughs> you know, he's throwing that medicine ball around like it's a tennis ball. And uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's pretty great to see. And to your point, Fraser, I mean, Corey Connors, Graham Dillette, Michael Glickage, Adam Hadwin, uh, Mackenzie Hughes, Taylor Penders. I'm going to mention all these because they deserve the mention. We don't get enough coverage. I know TSN yeah. does, a, does a great job. They do what they can. Um, and, and, uh, but there's Adam Svensson and Nick Taylor, uh, you know, mm -hmm. they're all, they're all out there grinding it out. And it's so hard for a Canadian to go out there for all the reasons we talked about earlier, you know, the support systems and what they had to do to push through, to get through on the LPGA tour, obviously Brooke Henderson, we're going to see Modemi LeBlanc play this year, full mm -hmm. status, Elena Sharp been, you know, she's always yep. hanging around and we've got the new girl named Maddie Shurik who went through Q school and finished in the top 40. So she's got full exempt status. That's yeah. really neat to see. And on the Canadian side, you know, these, these names might uh, ring true to some of us. I mean, uh, obviously Mike Weir, but remember Jim Rutledge? Jim Rutledge, mm -hmm. I, I still believe, has his, some status. Then we got David Moreland, who's playing on the Champions Tour, uh, making mm -hmm. some splashes here and there. And then I think Stephen Ames is going to have a big year. I know people don't realize how good that guy is. You know, he's really, he he's really, really yeah. great. Uh, and then obviously, you know, uh, on the Legends Tour, nobody talks about Legends Tour for women. It's They don't have too many events and because of COVID and, and sponsorship, but we've got, you know, uh, uh, Lori Kane and uh, Tina Toombs, who's, who's playing out there, Gail Graham and uh, uh, Barb Bunkowski, right? So uh, great to just to throw out those names and, and give them some recognition for what they've accomplished because in my mind and in my eyes, just being able to play a PGA Tour event like you have, Fraser, is is quite the accomplishment. You think about what it took you to get there, right? <laughs> like how much actual work. It's it's not it doesn't just happen. It's not just because of a qualifier, but it, it's a it's a culmination of life experiences and and you know taking those opportunities and then finally kind of somewhat peaking right i'm sure you i'm yeah. sure you, you know what i'm saying no it definitely it uh it, for me it was uh peaking in, in little bursts and uh you know those guys that are out there full time they're peaking so much more often and you know their their career is just full of those peaks and their peaks were you know much higher than mine uh but it was it was uh you know, for it, it was a, a journey, you know, uh, to, to reach that. Um, it is an incredible amount of work uh, that goes into, you know, developing as a young player to uh, gain experience. Um, it can be costly for, for players who travel, you know, to go play in, you know, national tournaments or international tournaments as a young amateur, a junior. I mean, the, the travel that's going on right now these days as a young junior to get the ranking mm -hmm. points to try and to try and attract the you know the top college coaches that's all it's all about right now is you know what are you playing in are you playing well in those events are you accumulating the, the world ranking points as a young amateur or junior and getting the eyeballs because ultimately your your ticket is punched if you get down to one of those top schools four years of you know hopefully it's a full scholarship free tutelage from the top coaches the top physical trainers mental you know, specialists and traveling on the college program's dime, there cannot be a better way to learn uh, without paying for it if you can get on one of those scholarship programs and get down to one of those top teams and stay down in the warm climate mm -hmm. and compete against a lot of great players and learn 
how to travel uh, and be prepared when you hit any tour Q school you're going to go to. Yeah. I agree. So Fraser, who who's next out of the BGT uh, uh, crowd? Uh, who do you think is going to break through? Like James Allenby, Chris Chris Logo. Uh, you know, there's uh, who do who do who do you see as uh, might see Corn Ferry or PGA? Well, it's such a tough journey, and unfortunately for these young guys, um, you know, these last two years have really been broken apart mm-hmm. due to COVID and the lack of ability to travel you know, for the U S players to come up here and play and to have a full schedule. Um, you know, they really had to do their best they can. And mentally it was a grind for a lot of these guys, but I'm going to list you a number of players who I think are, are going to compete and play well on our tour. And in particular, a couple of players who uh, have some status beyond the VGT already, who mm-hmm. I think have uh, the best opportunity, at least from our local uh, batch of players. Um, as of recent, uh, you know, one of the players that's kind of shone brightly, you know, played well this year on the McKenzie tour, PG tour, Canada, Ziggy Nathu, who plays at a Richmond country club. He just recently qualified for the Latin America tour. So he's, nice. uh, he's got some starters starts down there and same with Caleb Gorban who won the Vancouver open in 2020. Mm-hmm. Caleb's another uh, Taylor Pendrith. You look at this guy and you go, how, how can you possibly hit the ball that far? He was in the Vancouver open driving par fours, 380 yards. Uh, wow. Fraser view first, first hole Fraser view drove it to the back of the green. <laughs> Second hole is a par five. He, he hit driver lob wedge, fourth hole driver lob wedge par five. Like he's hitting in places that only DeChambeau and a very select few people are hitting it. Wow. And it's a matter of, I think it's a matter of time. It's discipline. It's, uh, it's pulling the driver out when you really need to and learning how to manage the rest of it. If he gets a good caddy on the bag and can travel with him, I think the sky's the limit for Caleb Gorbin, honestly. Uh, but going down the list of young players, Ilari Zali, who was a rookie, was rookie of the year last year on our tour. Um, he won two times on our tour. He had he had a top five finish at the uh, BC Golf BC Championships at Gallagher's Canyon on the McKenzie Tour last year. Obviously, James Allenby, uh, one of our most accomplished BC players, um, Again, a really tough year for him to go through, only getting to play. I think they had eight or nine events on the form tour down in the States. Mm-hmm. You know, he had two top 15 finishes. Uh, he came 40th on the money list. And it won him $9,000. Like, that's the sad part of it, is yeah. you cannot make a living on that tour mm-hmm. unless you're a top five player and yeah. you're not moving beyond that. So, you know, he's back working hard in his game. I've seen some of his posts. He's... Uh, you know, he works at a course where his mom and dad own the, the Fort or the Langley Golf Center. So yeah. he, he trains out of there and, and uh, works a bit there. Kevin Stinson, I mean, arguably uh, VGT's uh, top local pro the last six years. He's won the Order of Merit six of the last seven times. Um, he's won He won six times on our tour last year. He won another four or five tournaments uh, on the G&G tour and, and mm-hmm. uh you cannot just, you know, he's, and he went down South and he actually played some decent events down in Phoenix this winter. Zach Olson, a uh, young pro out of Chillout golf club, four runner ups last year. I, I know he's going to have a breakthrough the year this year uh, to win his first time and two players who play or will be playing the McKenzie tour, Lauren Rowe and Evan Holmes, uh, Lauren's from Squamish and uh, Evan's from uh, Shaughnessy golf club. They both qualified and played the form tour this year. And I think once they get some status and actually get a full season of, of uh, McKenzie tour events under their belt. I think it's just a matter of time for them to feel 
to get that confidence and feel like they've got a schedule of events that they can actually travel to and make some money. I know the purses are going to be up uh, this year compared to last year on the McKenzie tour. So, you know, you have a top 10 or top five finish, you're going to make some good money on that tour. And that ultimately is going to pay in confidence uh, going forward. Mm-hmm. On the amateur side, uh, we had some amazing young players on our tour um, do some amazing things. Ethan Possumus, uh, 15-year-old junior, he won three times on our tour. He dominated the whole year. Uh, he won the he was the low amateur at the Vancouver Open. He beat a lot of young, really young, nice young players. UBC, all the UBC players were playing there. Uh, he's going to be, I mean, he's only 15 years old and he won our Order of Merit already. Mike Azawa, six wins, um, only t- to be outplayed by Ethan in the last event. Russell Howlett, Aiden Schumer, Ethan DeGraff, top UBC players, Dustin Franco, Caleb Davies, another 16-year-old kid, uh, Newlands Golf Course, and Ryan Stolies, uh, who plays for SFU, probably one the, the sort of the brightest shining player from their team. All great players playing our tour. Uh, look for their, uh, you know, their successes in amateur golf, and maybe Ryan, I think, might be uh, graduating from SFU this year, so he maybe uh, he might think about turning pro. And on the women's side, Christine Wong and Jay Rampuri uh, are top two female players. Uh, they sort of battle it out back and forth, uh, but a lot of young, nice young amateur female players: Emily Lee, Sonia Tang, and June Seal. Um, Emily and Sonia both play for UBC, and they played uh, great this fall. So those would be kind of the, the top players to look out for mm-hmm. from our tour. Uh, I know there's some great players beyond VGT, obviously. But if uh, you look at leaderboards, we're cheering them on to success. And um, Angela Aurora, who's, who has played uh, a number of VGT events, uh, she's now playing for Team Canada. So we're, we want to cheer her on. And like you said, Chris Crisologo, another one of these uh, talented young players who hits it a mile. Mm-hmm. And I really think uh, if he continues to get support financially and gets a full season finally on a McKenzie tour, and he's only in his third year as a pro golfer, so... I think in, in this game, you got to be patient. Uh, you can't be a one and done or a two and done kind of thing. You got to give it four or five years. Um, and if at that point you haven't sort of made strides beyond McKenzie to the, the corn ferry, you know, I think that's the time to have to reflect and say, is this for me? Um, you look at how long it took Adam Hadwin, you know, to make it the PGA tour. Mm-hmm. He spent uh, three years on the Canadian tour, two more years on the uh, corn ferry went to the PGA Tour, back to the Corn Ferry, and then back to the PGA Tour, you know, six or seven years before he established himself on the PGA Tour. And now, yeah. you know, he's a, a top top 100 player every year. Yeah. Golf is you, a hard game. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> that's for sure. You know, Fraser, t- tell us what players came out of the VGT or, or dropped in to play some events. Maybe you could uh, let us know about a couple of players uh, for those who are listening or watching us. Well, I mean, the top player that uh, we all know here anyway from, from uh, BC is uh, Nick Taylor. And Nick, um, la- two years ago, Nick played in uh, three of our events. When COVID was ramping up, he actually came back home from the PGA Championship, or sorry, the Players' Championship. That was the last event in 2020. Came back to Vancouver, sort of just to see what was happening. Didn't know if he was going to get back out there. So he played a few of our spring events. It was really fun to have him in our uh, on tour playing. Uh, he went right down the final nine holes with one of our players, um, John McClodick, and John shot twenty eight on him on the back nine to take wow. to take Nick down. That was two years ago, and then last year he um, uh, one of the events on our schedule was uh, the Nick Taylor Charity Pro Am, and uh, 
so it was a, a fun format. It was a, it was one, one amateur and one pro sort of, sort of the theme after Nick's win at the Pebble beach pro-am. So it was uh, instead of the regular three and one, three amateurs, one pro, it was one pro, one amateur. And uh, the sponsor there, Reliable Tube, got to give them a plug, uh, kicked in $20,000 uh, for a one-day Pro-Am purse. Wow. And Nick Nick went and won it, so uh, <laughs> uh, good for him. Not that he needed the $4,500, but uh, there's there's the potential for that event to take on new legs this year, still in, uh, in talks with that sponsor and uh, with Nick and his charity foundation. And uh, if all things come together for that event, um, it could be, uh, it could well be the biggest event on our schedule in 2021. So stay tuned. And maybe if there's another segment uh, in the spring or summer, uh, I can certainly give more as soon as it's uh, announced, I'll let you guys know through Twitter and all the social media feeds. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a little harder for Adam. We we have seen Adam come back and play our, our tour. Uh, he came back in 2016 and uh and won the vancouver open for his third time so that was very cool for uh, those who got to see him play and, and those who got to play with him and um you know it's always just really really cool to see guys like james allenby who you know i honestly think he's good enough to play at the pg tour level or the corn Ferry tour a guy goes out and two times in a 36 hole event shot 20 under par for two days Mm-hmm. two different tournaments um, and almost shot 59 two days in a row. That yeah. uh, is a sign that that's, that's good enough to get out there. And I honestly think um, let's he's the only thing that father time is catching up on him. Not that he's not physical enough to go and do it and not strong enough to go do it. It's just a matter of, you know, he's 37 years old. He's yeah. turning 38, I think this year. And um, he has no he kids, he doesn't have a family. He doesn't yeah. look it. And he he's young. in great, great shape. He always looks after himself and trains hard. So um, it's fun to I, see him in our fields because I know that it, it, it elevates the game for a lot of other players. And, uh, you know, I always love it when he wins because it, it, to me, it helps him move forward. Yeah. And if anything, that's what our tour does is it, uh, is it puts money in their pockets so that they can go beyond our tour and then take it and try and win on the higher levels. I've played with James a couple of times in pro-ams. Uh, very lucky to do that. And, uh, one of the pro-ams at Pagoda Ridge Golf Club, pro- probably six years, seven years ago now, uh, he his wedge game was beautiful. Uh, he's probably four or five under for the day, but he could have been 14 under because every, uh, every green, he hit this perfectly flighted wedge is right there with, with like six to 15 feet away from the pin, and it just was a matter of making putts. But just watching him play and how consistent and, and the sound like that audio of his uh ball striking was was very impressive so i i, I would love to see him break through and uh, and get into the uh, the big leagues it, it's really great to hear about uh players like nick taylor coming back and playing because even a victory on one of your events it gives them confidence you know, it, it, it does something for them, even though, you know, Nick's won twice on tour, he's ranked 200th uh, in the world, uh, you know, he's, he, he ranks up there in FedEx uh, points, but just getting wins on the PGA Tour, or anywhere for that matter, is pretty great, uh, right? Uh, and I would love to see more amateurs go out even to watch the smaller tour events, and just maybe stand at the tee box and watch events like yours, uh, because you'll start realizing 
that these even the on a lower level these you guys are pretty great i remember going out for the first time to uh, a skins game or out at fontainebleau golf club in quebec it was mickelson vj hank keeney and john daly so they're all bombers and i followed them the crowds weren't all that big they're about three to four thousand people walking with them and i stood at every tee box and i just remember watching every shot and thinking I've played tournament golf. I've never seen the ball come off the club face quite like that. Even though I've gone to Canadian Opens, the, the way I follow those four. And then when people don't realize that Hank Heaney, how long he really was. Back in 2003 and four, he was longest on tour. He's hitting the ball 320. 321 point something was his average back then. He would beat anybody if he had today's technology, if he was on tour and he had that game that he had back then. So I just want to throw it out there. He's, he's not, you know, Bryson and these guys, I think he'd be getting it out there without having to jump out of their shoes. Um, but just to go full circle with what you were saying, Fraser, uh, do you have a schedule that's coming out or do you have an idea of exactly, you know, maybe the month where things are going to get started and what are those events? You know, we're, uh, we're going to launch our schedule in, in the first week of April and, um, you know, Gatekeeper series, Gatekeeper uh, Systems is our as our opening event sponsor, and uh, they came on board a couple of years ago, and you know have started with the opening events as well as a a bit of a series for the the pros to challenge themselves to try and get into a finale, uh, where the top six guys um, at the end of the year they get to just to play for a purse of, you know, it's $5,000, but it's a no entry fee and uh, purse for them to just kind of come out and spend a day with the sponsor. And um, so that'll, that'll be the start of the year. And, you know, we'll, we'll fire off 24 events uh, from, 24. you know, first week in April. Yeah. That's great. Wow. Yeah. And that's, and that's a bit of a reduction from uh, past years. We've, we've been up in the thirties and with the growth of the membership and the size of the fields uh, expanding as they have, it, um, it just, it's not, it wasn't giving our, our staff and our volunteers enough time to, you know, go from one event and, you know, first rest and recover from the long days. Cause there were a lot of 14 to 16 hour days and the volunteers pouring in 10 to 12 hour days. And uh, it's just not right. It's not fair for them. So um, and we had a lot of uh, stops and starts last year uh, for six weeks, we couldn't run tournaments due to COVID. And then, so we back ended a lot of tournaments into, you know, September and October. And the team was just ultimately destroyed. We were just tired. And um, so, you know, less is more is our theme this year where, um, you know, less events, but make them better. Mm -hmm. um, try and, our goal is to have every single one of our events sponsored. And, and that way it's more exciting. It's more exciting for the amateurs who will then, you know, get a welcome gift to come uh, and to really give them a feel of great value. Um, you know, play the venues. Obviously, they're all going to be in great shape. Um, you know, all the superintendents do a great job and receive us well and put on a, a great show for the players. Uh, but it's about, you know, like you said, sponsorship is the key. Uh, if we can get sponsors to bump the purses up, if we can get them to, to help with some welcome gifts and help us bump the amateur prizing up, everybody wins. And uh, ultimately, that's our goal is to, is to have 24 super events where, you know, the members all at the end of the year go, wow, that was that was unbelievable. Uh, professionally run, um, scaled up, you know, with sponsor banners everywhere, you know, more sponsor engagement where, you know, there's drinks on course and there's snacks and there's, 
you know, things at the end of end of the day, maybe there's a putting contest put on by, you know, whichever other sponsor and just give them a sense of it's more than just coming out playing and leaving in the day to make it more exciting. And, you know, we have great partnerships in place with some events that have, that have been doing this for a while, you know, the golden ears open the Chilliwack open uh, lately, the golden Eagle, uh, you know, golden Eagles really stepped it up with their involvement and, and metal gardens too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's our goal is to really kind of elevate all our events that are, you know, so that they're at that size and, and maybe bigger as far as the pro purse, elevating the pro purse bigger, but to get our, like the amateur prizing and the, and the tea gifting has always been great at those events, uh, because they have sort of been a one-off event for those clubs and they can pour all the sponsors in from their community into those events. And that's our goal is to, is to keep partnering with those events that have been successful and then you know, make our own events uh, level with those or even even bigger. Now, with the changes to uh, prizing and amateurs uh, not only being able to accept sponsorship uh, money and funding, uh, but they can now earn cash. Um, so do you uh, anticipate any changes to the prizing for amateurs with, uh, with these new rules? In, in the uh, elite side of it, there will be an option for, for the uh, young amateurs if they yeah. want to compete for the, the purse. Yeah. then they can pay the entry fee that the pros pay. Um, okay. You know, that's ultimately yeah. the opportunity. The pros pay a certain fee. The amateurs pay a little bit less for a fee. But mm-hmm. if they want to play for the purse, only fair to the pros who have paid their that entry fee. If the amateur is going to come and take away that that money now, well, then they got to pay the same fee. And um, and so that will that will be an opportunity for them to opt in or opt out yeah. of that. Um, and, you know, not every young amateur uh, wants to try and play for the cash, but there are certainly a, a, a percentage that, you know, this might be, this might help their career. Um, you know, one knowing that, wow, I played with James Allen, B. Kevin Stinson and the likes and Chris Crisologo, I beat them yeah. <laughs> and I took the money. And Mike, Mike so it might cash. just give them that. Mike wants the cash. Mike wants the cash. <laughs> oh, no, he does. Well, Mike's there's there's the definitely cash. something when, when you go and, and play, even in the Vancouver Open, for example, and you, you, you look at the scores after and you realize like, hey, you know what? I finished ahead of a few pros, you know? So yeah, I didn't win right. the flight, but uh, there's, there's always some positive you can uh, dive into the data after the uh, tournament's over and see where you stacked up against it. But I, I believe there's limitations that it's only $1,000. Uh, it can't be obviously in a handicapped event. So that obviously brings right. in a, a level of complication uh, in terms of um, competition and um, but yeah, I, I think it makes sense if if you want to go play for the big the big money, you got to pay for the green fees. Hey, who knows? We're, we're we're going into uh, crypto world right now, so we might be going into uh, Bitcoin pricing these days, and everything's possible. But uh, you know, we we're, we're, run, we're running into <laughs> one hour and fifteen minutes of our podcast. I'd love That's to great. to for you to be able to t- maybe talk about how we could get in touch with you. I know if you're out there and listening, uh, we have an audience that's possibly worldwide though, looking at our new metrics uh, in the US and in Canada. So if you're in Oregon, Washington, you know, um, Alberta or BC, and you're thinking of uh, playing in amateur or professional golf, make sure you get in touch with Frazier and his team for the uh, Vancouver Golf Tour and also sponsors. So I'm going to reach out right now and say, hey, if you want to be part of the sport on a corporate level, uh, reach out to the VGT and give them a hand. Uh, you know, you could become part of golf in that way and you develop some great relationships and get some good exposure. 
Uh, yeah, Fraser, tell us how can we get in touch with you, uh, both on the corporate side of things for sponsorship and for the players to register. Yeah. Also, what are you plugging right now? I'll give your, a shout out to your sponsors and any initiatives uh, that you for want sure. to mention. Well, thanks for that opportunity. A uh, 15-year-long tour title sponsor is IGA. They're a local company that um, has serviced, you know, BC community for many years, the the Louis family, and they have been on board since uh, day one in 2016 as our tour title sponsor. And Strixon Cleveland, um, again, a legacy sponsor, have been on since day one, and they're our official uh, ball and equipment sponsor, as well as the Order Mara sponsor. Um, you know, Johnson Meyer Insurance, again, uh, a sponsor since day one that um, Dave Ebner, a really good buddy of mine, uh, came on board as a you know, intro sponsor and, you know, has been the lead sponsor of the Vancouver Open, you know, for the last four or five years. So um, there's a lot, to, uh, I'm not going to list them all, but those, you know, those are our, you know, three or four key sponsors that really have, you know, sort of stood out and allowed VGT to succeed and gain the momentum that we've needed to to move on you know, beyond being a, a very small boutique operation to uh, now, you know, hiring a staff of individuals that uh, are helping us execute the events uh, of, you know, 200 plus players. Um, please feel free to come on out. Uh, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's a tour for both professionals and amateurs. And, uh, you know, all we ask for for the amateur golfers is to have a Golf Canada or USGA certified handicap. 18 or under for the men and 22 or under for the women. Uh, there's lots of room to play, lots of room in the membership to come play. And um, our website is uh, is VancouverGolfTour.com. But you can also reach us on social media channels uh, through Instagram or uh, at Twitter at VanGolfTour. My personal account is at VancouverGolf. So please feel free to you know send us a shout out there. Um, and, and at Facebook, lots of... Uh, galleries uh video and picture galleries from the events we do a, a really nice collaboration of of each event on our uh, facebook page and it's just facebook.com slash vancouver golf tour so um info at vancouvergolftour.com um you name it 604-980-GOLF you can reach me anyway uh we'd be uh we'd love to see you we'd love to keep growing the membership and uh, grow the size of our events and uh as raf said we encourage um all local businesses or regional businesses to come on board and really help support us uh, grow this community initiative that really is allowing people to you know to to strive uh, hard for um, aiming for whatever dreams they have in golf whether it's moving from b flight to championship flight turning pro or if it's one of the young pros that already has turned pro and really looking to to make a, a stepping stone from local pro golf into world worldwide golf on the pga tour amazing excellent so fraser we like to end the uh broadcast with some humor so usually we uh <laughs> swap some stories uh and you must have something funny that's happened on the golf course and in, in your uh, in your years being out there so uh, if there's anything that stands out that uh, it's not allowed mm -hmm. to be about me throwing anything uh, <laughs> that's, that's that's been multiple segments we've talked about uh, <laughs> that right Tom. wow i'm i mean i'm trying to i'm trying to get one that i can uh i mean there's been lots of occasions where i've had the opportunity to meet uh great people um the one the one kind of funny one that stands out for me was when i played in i played in the 99 uh 
uh, Air Canada Championship, and I also got back in in 2002. And in 2002, after you know Mike Weir had had that first win in '99, incredible run uh, in his career, trying to, to, to win his second event, he made the cut in 2002. Uh, I was there, missed the cut obviously, but there as a spectator, and I was in the the members area or the the players area uh lounge where you could there was a buffet and you know help yourself to a beer or a glass of wine and and watch on the patio and uh, i remember uh the last few groups are coming in and uh and in storms mike weir and he was not happy he shot 73 i think in the final round you know tied for 40th and not not where he wanted to be obviously after the final day and uh and he walked kind of hustled in he went straight for uh, two bottles of wine, pulled them out of the ice, and said, "Hey guys!" And off he went. <laughs> that was uh, that was my little story with Mike Weir at the Air Canada <laughs> Championship. I think he uh, he had a local caddy, uh, Jeff Kramer, who he'd yeah. gone to school with down at Brigham, Brigham Young, and Jeff uh, obviously was the designated driver for the day. <laughs> so they were off to uh, to go somewhere. I don't know where they were going with that wine. That that brings me. In the locker room. You know, I was going to share another story, but you 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 brought up Mike Weir, and uh, Mike and I were over at the Presidents Cup in 2007 at Royal Montreal. I was with uh, CJAD and uh, West Island Golf Media at the time, and I got the chance to walk inside the ropes for all the events. And in one of the uh, matches, I was walking behind Mike Weir, and I was in the fairway behind him about a hundred yards or so. And on one of his shots, I was standing right in his line behind him, but I thought I was far enough behind that he wouldn't really see me. And here he, <laughs> he sets up to the ball and I'm just standing there by myself with my arms crossed, you know, thinking I'm far enough that he it wouldn't bother him. And being a golfer, I should know better, right? You could feel somebody <laughs> in your line, in your direct line. Don't even let cameras stay in your direct yeah. line. You could always see that angle, right? And so... Just before he takes his club back, he looks back, he backs away. He goes, can you get out of the way, please? And then his caddy starts yelling at me, and I just I kind of shuffled over to the side. So that's one of my Mike Weir encounters uh, back in 2007. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I, and I was there with Raph for one of the media days. Oh, no. Uh, Is this a Jack and, story? And, yeah, I'll lead into that. Well, I... <laughs> Raph had media passes and I was in Toronto uh, the day before and I was planning, I already had tickets for the Thursday and Sunday and a group of friends were all going to meet in Montreal. So Raph messaging me on Monday, he's like, I got an extra media pass for Tuesday. So I'm like, I'm in the car. I drove from Toronto um, over to Montreal to meet Raph at, at the club the next day. And I'm on the range with my little point and click Sony camera, you know, with my press pass and I'll have to post pictures of this because I got stink eye from Jack. I, I'm literally eight feet from Phil and Jack having a private conversation. I'm taking pictures of them and Jack's looking directly at me like, who the F are you? Uh, and I'm running around taking pictures. I got pictures of the teams. I got 400 snaps from that day. And uh, it, it was hilarious. I got Tiger giving me stink eye, and I've got Jack yes. giving me stink eye. Well, the worst part, and... it was open media day, so it was open for the public to take pictures. But because we were inside the ropes on the range and everywhere else, it was a little bit odd. <laughs> well, the greatest thing about that, um, obviously just being there around all these guys, but uh, Mike Weir was on the range hitting right-handed shots and trying VJs 
these clubs, Charles Howell and Tiger were, were switching balls because they're going to be playing together. So there, everyone was using other, everyone else's equipment, which was something you would never see uh, on yeah. any other PGA range day. Uh, so there, there was, it, it was fun. So, uh, you know, a really uh, special moment, but uh, you know, and another thing that happened there, I just, by chance, I was wearing uh, my best golf pants. They were semi beige khakis and I had a reddish shirt on for the day. And it just happened to be a similar color to the American team. So, you know, walking yeah. through well, from T to, from green to T, some guy hands me something to sign thinking I'm part of the team. Uh, oh, it, was, it was just hilarious. I'm surprised I didn't get kicked out. Yeah. Lots of good stories. Lots of great stories. Well, Fraser, I just want to say thanks for coming on. Thanks for everything that you do. Uh, for Fraser Mulholland and Michael Bleakley, I'm Raphael Kalamat. You've been listening to the Golf Podcast Live. It was a special thanks going out to Drinkwell, Upper Hand Collectibles, and Sports Cards Evolve Creative Solutions. And uh, we'll see you next week. Take care, guys. Thanks Thank you. again. Thanks, thanks guys. Fraser. Thanks, guys. Thank, thank you for having me, guys. Absolutely.